Star jump sequence terminates, Captain. Get the gravitational dampers online and open the blast aye, shield. Sir. Bring us in closer. Aye, aye, sir. Moving us in on sublight drive. Extreme magnification. Nice. The center of the galaxy. And there's our black hole. The experience of a lifetime, Captain. Let me put this on audio. You should be able to hear the magnetic resonance. This is it, ladies and gentlemen. The edge of time and space where the impossible can happen. Welcome to the event horizon. Good morning, or afternoon, or evening, whatever is relevant for the part of the world you are in. Indeed, welcome to the Event Horizon, where the impossible happens. Join us each week at this time as we delve into the worlds of science fiction, fantasy, and science fact in all their forms. I'm your host, Gene Turnbow. And I am your other host, Susan Fox. And with us is Gerald Webb, producer and actor, and I assume writer on top of all of that. Welcome to the show. Ah, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure to, to speak to you guys. And uh, yeah, I dabble on the writing side a little bit, yes. <laughs> I thought so. One does not get to be... One does not find oneself in the producer's position without spending at least some time behind the typewriter. But uh, we Well, there's always uncredited writing as a producer where you kind of help fix things and don't get credited. But I actually, as we speak, I am kind of locked away... Uh, on location specifically to for me to write. So that's kind of funny that you mentioned that. <laughs> we encounter that more frequently than you, than one would think. <laughs> well, we should we should shut up and let you write, but we won't because that's what we're here for is to talk. Um so the man, the legend, the the hero <laughs> of diversity, the um uh we've seen you in uh what was it? Bull, Battle, Battle for Los Angeles, Barry. True Blood, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, CBS Intelligence, Law and Order Los Angeles. Battle for Los Angeles, NCIS Los Angeles, you never leave. Uh, Sharknado 2? <laughs> Law Sharknado. and Order Los Angeles, it's a Los Angeles thing. <laughs> yeah. Sharknado. Sharknado. <laughs> you're, the, you're the guy that handles all the casting for the Sharknado films? You're the one who feeds them to the sharks. Uh, yeah, I, I, I handled. I was uh, I was an executive. I was a director of talent at the asylum for uh, a, a bunch of years, and was fortunate enough to be involved in the first three Sharknados. So <laughs> before anybody knew what a Sharknado was, I was uh, out there and went out and found Tara <laughs> Reed and Ian Ziering and uh -huh. a bunch of other people to sacrifice at the uh, god that is now Sharknado. <laughs> I just I I still can't get over you know I mean this. One of the things about the Sharknado series uh, is that it is gives, that it's a series. <laughs> yeah, first of all, it's a series, but secondly, it gives all of uh, it gives uh, it, it gives, gives all hope. of our us uh, <laughs> independent filmmakers and independent content uh, content creators hope because whenever you feel down about the project that you're working on, someone bought Sharknado. You have to remind yourself of that. <laughs> oh, yes. Um, but, but what we came to talk about today was Fracture. Tell us about this new series. It, it's a series, I assume, first uh, of all. 
Yes, uh, we're really excited about it. Um, my my company, uh, Deinstitutionalized LLC, that I own with uh, director Christopher Ray, who's directed like Two Headed Shark Attack and Mercenaries and a bunch of other films. Um, he created uh, a concept for a show, and it was called Fracture. And uh, we developed it over two and a half years. And finally, this year, we actually put it all together and hired a cast and a crew and were able to shoot the uh, the first uh, eight first season effectively of this show. And it's our first steps into a scripted series. And uh, we're ridiculously excited about it. But um, Chris created it and then worked uh, worked alongside a guy named Zach Ward, who you may know from uh, – the movie a christmas story um and uh he's zach uh, and chris kind of got together and 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 pounded out what the whole concept was going to be and zach wrote all the episodes that chris ended up directing and i executive produced uh along with chris um to uh you know get this thing actually shot so we're in post-production on it now we're we're doing all of the work to make it the the best that we can be, and we were really, really fortunate to give the first sneak peek of the series at Comic Con in San Diego. Um, uh, you know, earlier, uh, not this month, uh, actually at the end of last month, uh-huh. and it was very well received. That audience got to see the first pieces of video of it, and um, got to speak to some of the cast members, like Brittany Curran, who's uh, from Sci Fi's The Magicians. Mm-hmm. And uh, a few, uh, Cody St. New, who's off of Teen Wolf, came out for us. Uh, and Max Adler, who's from The Flash and Switched at Birth and a bunch of other shows all came out uh, and got to uh, see the first sneak peek and speak to the audience a little bit at Comic-Con. And so, the show is spelled F-R-A-X-T-U-R, if you're trying to Google it. Tell us a little bit about the premise for the show. Well, the premise, I, I always tell people that the 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 short shortest premise i can tell you of it is imagine if the breakfast club met mad max and the walking dead so it's about a group of uh you know millennials who you know they're they're living life and they're dealing with their normal millennial lives they they're they're going to college there's some people in their class they like there's some people they don't like there's some people they get along with there's some people that they don't and uh, they get caught in this post-apocalyptic event, and they escape to this little cave uh, for safety. And when they come out of this cave, um, what they what they thought was a matter of a couple of hours, a few hours, they come out of this cave, and the whole world that they knew looks like it's 50 years later, and everything is destroyed. And really quickly, they have to learn how to overcome their differences, a la The Breakfast Club. In order Uh to survive, in order to find food, find shelter. And then as they're doing that, they encounter these tribalistic groups in this new world. Some are friendly and some are out to kill them. And they have to learn how to defend themselves, make allies and all on the backdrop of them trying to figure out where, you know, how they got to here and what's happened and how they can hopefully maybe figure out a way home. That's an interesting premise, and it it uh, it hits the high points of youth and and wasteland. You know, the wasteland weekend that you can't go home from. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's uh, I, I like the idea of uh, you know it's it's it sounds like it, it borrows a little bit from Land of the Lost, perhaps. 
you know, because um, unintentional time unintentional, travel, <laughs> unintentional time travel. Well, it's funny when I when I, I, I and I can see how you can say that. It's funny when I was a kid, um, I watched Land of Lost, and it was weird because I was I was pretty young at the time, and it was actually one of those like Saturday morning shows that it actually was my first maybe like fear that I experienced watching a TV show because you know they there was a little bit of danger associated with you know them leaving the safety of their little cave on Land of the Lost. So yeah, I. I it's a much more expansive world where once they leave their cave and fracture they're you know, they don't, they pretty much don't go back. Uh, they're, they're there to kind of stake their claim and, and, and find a way to live and survive. But yeah, I, I, it does have a little bit of a little bit of a relation to that, I guess. It sounds like it's also got, uh, it also gives you the potential to do some really great character arcs. I mean, the, the oh, evolution yeah. that your characters are going to have to go through in order to, uh, in order to cope with this new world and, and, uh, the challenges that they face, uh, that's going to be pretty considerable. And it's, it's what makes characters interesting. Well, the young people, they've yeah. got a lot of growing to do. Yeah, exactly. And that's what's great about it is you get to see these, you know, these, these, you know, 18, 19, 20 year old kids you know, grow and, like I said, overcome their differences with each other. You know, the two guys that are fighting at the beginning of this thing end up, and one ends up saving the other one's life later on in the show. And there's a lot of things like that that happen where they realize that, you know, their millennial problems aren't, aren't problems. And they're, they have to really quickly learn to deal with real world problems and life or death situations. And, and you know, Faith gets tested. Belief in God gets tested. Belief in each other gets tested. Um, they have they have to they face death. They face um, they face a lot of things that um, you know in in a very rapid and quick manner that they have to adjust to and grow. And they're forced to grow up literally every day and moment by moment. So from that standpoint, I think it gives a ton of great material for the actors to play with. And and then, you know, we were so fortunate with this cast. I mean, we got an amazing cast. Like I said, we got Brittany Curran, who's on mm-hmm. The Magicians. Um, we got Leon Thomas III from the show Victorious. Uh, he's fantastic. We got Camille Wimbush, who was on uh, was a series regular on the Bernie Mac show. Mm-hmm. Uh, Max Adler, who I, I mentioned, uh, who's from The Flash and Switched at Birth. Cody St. New from Team Wolf. Um, we got uh, Eric, uh, Eric Nelson, who um, he's from the show The Ranch, and he just got cast in another new show. I don't know the name of it, but he's a series regular on the new Dennis Leary show. Uh, Sierra Hanna, who's from the Power Rangers series. Um, mm-hmm. And then we got a great guy named Christos, Christos Andrews, who Christos has actually won five Emmys, and uh, he's from the show The Bay that's on Amazon. So we're really happy to have him. And then we got this great girl named Chasty Ballesteros, who um, is uh, she's done guest stars on half of the shows on TV. And she's just a fantastic actress. And I'm just waiting for her to break out and be a star one day. So that's kind of like our base of our series regulars. And then we have great guest stars. We've announced that Denise Richards is it does an arc on the show. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with Carl Yoon from Real Steel and oh, yeah. uh, Memoirs oh, yes. of a Geisha. Oh, yes. He's, uh-huh. He does an arc on the show. Uh, Dallas Diamond Page, the former WWE mm-hmm. champ, is one of the leaders uh, of one of the groups that they encounter on the show. 
Uh, Jay Carlo, who's won an Emmy, uh, soap opera actress Jade, as she's in the show, and Maria Conchita Alonso, who you know everybody knows from Running Man back in the day, does an arc on the show. So wow. the cast is phenomenal, <laughs> and um, they all. I think the main reason they all joined on is for what you mentioned is that there's this great material and this great these great character arcs for them to kind of step into and embody. Well, and it's not just another post-apocalypse show because of the way, because of what's at stake. You know, they're trying to find their way back, uh, and they're, they're thrust into this situation completely, um, completely unprepared. Yeah, completely unprepared for it. Yeah. With most post, post-apocalypse films, you have the characters who have lived through the, the apocalypse event, and these people haven't. They have no yeah. idea what happened or why I mean, they're there. Well, they, these kids haven't had to pay rent. They haven't had to really pay bills. They haven't done with dealt with any of the even normal life responsibilities that we're used to dealing with as adults. And now they're dealing with the things that you're mentioning, death, surviving day after day, dealing mm-hmm. with people who, who want to kill them or want to take advantage of them. And so, yeah, it, it's a really – big step to watch these kids kind of struggle with the most extreme of, of uh, circumstances you, and with, with no experience. Were you concerned about uh, how you were going to portray as big a world as this without blowing your budget to smithereens? I mean, <laughs> I'm asking an executive producer question here, so. <laughs> um, yes, with that a budget is always a concern. Um because the truth of it is nowadays, what you know, if you have from a standpoint of budget and what we were going to show and how do we show this huge, expansive world? Yeah, it's, it's a huge concern. And, uh, you know, Chris and I, uh, Chris Ray, who directed the episodes and, and also executive produced with me, um, Chris and I, we talked about that a little bit as we started kind of reading rough drafts of the scripts. And there were things that when we saw a script, you were like, hey, we can't do that. So we had to say to the writer, we have to write something different. We can't we can't create that at this budget point. And then there were things where, you know, I'm fortunate. I work with Chris a lot. I have for years and I trust him a lot. And there were things where he says, oh, I, I have a way to shoot this. Um, there are some things where I'm like, hey, this has to be a visual effect. There were other times when it was like, guys, we can't afford a ton of visual effects, so we have to find a way to do this practically. So we had to find a way with our art director and you know, go to Bill and say, uh, Bill Voorhees, and go, Bill, we want to do this. Here's some ideas on how we think we can accomplish this. Um, and uh, then we brought in a, a great practical effects guy. And Vinny, our practical effects guy, he's won awards for all kinds of stuff. And there were things where we said to him, hey, here's what we want to create. And he went and came up with some amazing ideas that they cost us some money, but they didn't cost us what they could cost us if we had to do it through visual effects or other ways. So as far as kind of creating that world, there were a lot of things that as a producer, um, you know, we had to kind of think about. And one of those was like we had to find locations. So in one of our locations, we were really fortunate where we found this location where we camped out there and we had the location for about eight days and we built. It was up way up in the mountains in Santa Clarita, and we built a pretty expansive set using a lot of stuff that was already there. So they had like a mini version of a junkyard there. Mm -hmm. So what we did was we took their junkyard 
and and there was a bunch of like shipping containers there and we basically made their shipping containers into like an encampment we were able to move some of the cars around to kind of make it look like they had made this junkyard into a fortress uh-huh. but it was perfect for the world that we were working in and what we were creating there's nothing like found scenery <laughs> It's a lot, lot well, cheaper it's, it's to move free, a car around. It's free then. production value. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, how many times did you find yourself uh, going back to the script and saying, you know, we could go a little smaller on this idea and 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 uh, talk about this in dialogue as a shared experience rather than having to show, you know. I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't even ask that because this is television. This is a visual medium. You want to... Well, yeah, but, you know, Ed, remember uh, uh, in from film history when they were talking about uh, uh, the problems that MGM had when they were shooting Gone with the Wind? The, the two most expensive... The, the two most expensive words ever written in a script are Atlanta Burns. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So, um, it, you know, that's... It's so funny because that's a challenge um, to find the balance of that because you don't want to have a show or even a feature film where you just have people sitting around telling the audience the story because that gets pretty boring for the audience after a while. You have to – as much as possible you want to show, you want to give them that visual representation, which Mm -hmm. you're right. It's it's definitely a visual media, but there are times when you have to reference something or a lot of times you you can cheat that by – teasing certain things and then you can talk about it a little bit and then maybe flash back to the little bits that you teased so there's definitely a an art to kind of finding that balance and you know at the end of the day we're you know we think we found a good balance of that but then we'll put it out there and maybe the audience thinks we we didn't find a good balance who knows so with respect to the art direction um how how well are things working? You know, in uh, terms great. of blending your blending your budgetary requirements with the uh, with the the creative elements that you can control. Well, it's it's like the present world, only it's you know fifty years shabbier, right? More or less. Yes. So how how we how we address that from a from a standpoint of, of production design? Uh, Bill Voorhees was our production designer on this, mm-hmm. and. And we did it a couple of ways. You know, there were there were a lot of things where we took shots of new, of downtown L.A. or we took shots of some of our locations. And then we had uh, Joe Lawson from Lawson Digital Effects, who does is doing all of the effects on the show. Mm-hmm. We had him kind of take a shot of a building and then do a visual effect showing that building broken down or a big, huge broken down thing behind it to try and enhance some of the some of the wide shots and help us establish by showing that oh yes this is a beat up world and then when we cut into the inside the audience carries that image with them you know at least on a subliminal level so that's part of it um there's also a thing in budgets called contingency that you sometimes dip into when an opportunity comes up um and you pull some money from there to maybe put into something so um we had an opportunity in building one of our encampments to get a hold of a really old, authentic circus tent. And I mean, this thing was huge. So we were able to kind of, it wasn't something that we had budgeted for, but 
instead of us having just an outdoor encampment, we actually went and got this tent and then built and put pyro and fire and a bunch of things outside and around this tent to make this look like this was this this encampment because they didn't have a building put that tent at one of our locations up in the mountains Mm -hmm. and then went and got barrels and a bunch of different things and bill Voorhees, our production designer built an encampment around that that when you see it on camera it looks amazing and you know it's something that would happen if we were in a post-apocalyptic world you're going to make shelter out of whatever you can find and this this huge tent that would probably hold you could probably fit 150 200 people in this tent uh, ended up being the headquarters for one of the groups that our group encounters your cinematographer had to have loved that that accidental discovery of this tent because it gives uh, something like that something that big gives you such opportunities to create uh dynamic visuals that you wouldn't have had if you just found like an old gas station or something Exactly. And, and we're really fortunate. We, um, uh, Alexander Yellen is our cinematographer on the project and we've worked with him for literally the better part of 10 years on, on different feature films. And he's now the, um, he's the DP on the show Z nation for, um, for sci-fi channel. Hmm. So what's great is the experience that he's had there. And with a lot of the films that we've done in the past, he's shot and he's shot post-apocalyptic things. He, mm-hmm. he, you know, and he's great at moving fast and finding interesting things. And Chris and I feel ridiculously comfortable with him. And Chris, he's been the DP on several projects that Chris has directed. So it, it, it really helps us because number one, there's a great level of trust between director and dp there's a great level of trust between you know me as a producer and chris as a producer and me as a producer and chris as a a director Mm -hmm. and same thing with with alex as our dp like if i hear alex is on our set i know that he's he actually solves problems but like when he gets there i know there's going to be problems that come up that he solves um, so that's great and i know it's going to be unique and it's going to look great and we're going to be able to shoot hopefully at the speed that we need to shoot to get everything that we need to get because you know we were very aggressive with uh how we shot this i mean we shot we shot eight an eight episode series in less than a month that's really aggressive that's that's a tremendous pace i i I assume you were all ready to sleep for like four days straight after you were done yeah, I, I being a producer, I actually snuck a nap once in a while while we were doing our overnights. But other than that, I did not sleep for the better part of a month. I know Chris didn't sleep for the better part of a month. Oh, but God. yeah, wow! I can only yeah, I mean, imagine trying to learn had, your script and we all, yeah, we always had two cameras running. There were times when we had a, a, a third unit running, so there was a lot to juggle and to get through it. But um, you know, part of that is when we put together a great team like you know Chris and Alex and. And, and the team that we put together, um, you know, both on camera and behind the camera, it, it really helps us get through something like that. The the uh, the term executive producer has been bandied about in Hollywood forever. And it it the meaning of it fluctuates so wildly from one production to the next. It sounds like you are one of those in the trenches, you know, follow me, boys, uh, producers. Yeah, he's not just the guy who gave money and wanted his name on the door. Yeah, so the tit- it's funny. Titles in, in, in uh, Hollywood get shifted all over the place. Uh, you know, um, for us, whether I'm producer or executive producer on a lot of our projects, um, 
yeah, we're in the trenches. Chris, Chris and I are, are always in the trenches. Uh, I, I, I always joke and it's really not a joke cause it's so true. Like when I talk to people who want to get into producing, a lot of actors I know want to move into producing or other people outside of Hollywood. I say, well, understand that being a producer kind of means you do maybe every job or a little bit of every job. So be prepared to clean toilets and be prepared to run to run to get something from the store that you need last minute and be prepared to stay late and help every department with their job at some point. So because your job is to is to help everybody else's job go more smoothly and to make it all work. Yeah. Well, whatever it takes as a producer, I think we are in service to the show and it's our job to do whatever we have to do to make sure that the show is successful, period. Fantastic. So how many character, how many uh, story arcs do you, do you run uh, through this uh, uh, span of eight episodes? How many did you have going at once? Well, I mean, there's, I don't even know if I can count because there's, you know, we have a core group of kids that get stuck there, but then Mm -hmm. as the show progresses, some of them get, you know, separated. There's one girl gets taken by, a, a, a group that doesn't, you know, a not friendly group. So there's a storyline about her in that presence. Mm-hmm. There's a storyline of some of them, some of her friends saying, you know, saying, let's go rescue her. And they hook up with some friendlies. There's a couple of people who get separated and because of an illness and they're, they're kind of, so there's, there's several storylines. Um, many of them, you know, end up meeting up again at some point. Mm-hmm. And then there's the overarching storyline of, Hey, where are we? How did we get here? And how, how do we get back? How do we get home? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, so there's, you know, and then as they encounter a couple of groups there, there's kind of many storylines of these groups and what mm-hmm. are their real origins and what are their intentions and where do they come from? So at a certain point, you have to actually address that bigger question. Uh, is there, are there any hints of, of uh, where an answer to the, how did we get here question uh are there any hints of where that might come from uh, in the first season, or are are you hope are, are you, you even close to, to there that? yet? Are you even close to that yet? Uh, yes, you do get an inkling on uh, you know how they ended up in this predicament, and um, I don't want to say too much about it. But what I will say is our title, maybe the title of the show, maybe lends a little bit for you to think about on that. That's kind of what I thought, because otherwise, why call it that? You know, so it's it's. Um, I don't know. I've heard kind of ex- titles that mean nothing. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, but in this case, <laughs> yeah, in season nineteen, you find out why we named the show. <laughs> yeah, well, like you know, like the TV show Lost. At that the was end the, of the audience, series, yeah. Yeah, at the end of the series, I figured out why they called it that. Is because the writers were completely lost. <laughs> they had no idea how to end the show. That's funny. I thought that, well, in that case, they should have called it Everything Under the Sink. Because that's what they threw into that show. <laughs> Every, everything Under the Sink. Uh, it's like the, the, the cleaning fluids and the extra t- paper towels. and the. Yes. Hey, hey, hey. Yeah, ima- imagine, <laughs> imagine a commercial. ABC presents Everything Under the Sink. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> the stuff you forgot you had and has been hiding under there for six yes. years. That's not a black smoke monster. That's just an old. Uh, That's a piece bottle of, of rags. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Is that what happens to steel wool after a decade? My God. Exactly. Exactly. So action is there is I'm hearing a lot of people from action films here or semi action or zombie films. That's that's action, even if it's sort of step and schlep, but it's but they're moving. So is there action? Are there fight scenes? Are there there are no zap guns? Oh, yes. Yes, there's there's uh, there's there's definitely action. There's definitely fights. Uh, There's a lot of stuff that goes on. Um, There's some surprising things that happen uh, that I uh, will save for now. But there's some some uh, some unexpected bits of action. But, yeah, there's uh, Chris uh, Ray, the director, is 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 really good at shooting action. Mm -hmm. Not every director can do action well. Uh, so, uh, he loves doing it. And, uh, so there's a, a great deal of action in the show. And I think for the genre, you have to have that. Um, uh, you have to, you know, we want to develop storylines and have great storylines and have great arcs, but for this type of show, we also have to have something else kind of driving that. So I think the action really Mm -hmm. sits hand in hand with the storylines that we have set up. Things have to keep moving. Yes. Yes. So let's see. You are uh, you're in post production on the first eight uh, eight episodes of it, which is a big enough package that you can go to Netflix and and uh, and and or Hulu or uh, one of the pay services yeah. and present it as something you know a fait accompli. You've got got something in the can here. Yeah, ex- exactly. And that was. Kind of our intention is to, um, you know, instead of just do one episode or do a pilot, we said, listen, let's go, let's go do this season. And that way, when we go to, to get it out there, we have a, a finished product. We have something that we can sell instead of just saying, hey, here's one episode. Let's go make the rest. Hey, we have a great, really well done story. You know, hopefully uh, one of the many companies that you mentioned loves it and, and decides to jump on board with us. Well, they'd be lucky if they did. Mm. (laughs) I agree. I agree. So, you know, I'm hoping by next uh, San Diego Comic-Con or or some other convention before that, you'll start seeing your cosplayers doing your characters, you know. That's when you know you've made it, right? (laughs) Oh, that would would be awesome. It's so funny. I, um, you know, Dallas Diamond Page is in the show. And, you know, when I was a kid, um, you know, we used to watch uh, WWE and wrestling. And a buddy of mine, uh, some buddies of mine, they actually made their own like championship belt out of cardboard. And <laughs> oh, so you laugh! You made Star Trek props. Yeah, out of what? I know, I know. <laughs> these, these were like kids, so but it's it's like literally made out of cardboard. And what's funny about it is, I remembered that. So I I did a little video with Dallas, and we and I, he had his look on from the show, and then I put on some 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 wardrobe, <laughs> and I did we did like a hype video that I'm one day going to post on like Facebook for my friends where i'm calling my friends out for the the chiselhurst world wrestling championship <laughs> belt and because that was the town they were from and i'm like you know we're coming to get your belt and we and dallas was great he had fun with it but i i can't i literally can't post it yet because it gives away dallas's look on our show and i can't wait my friends don't even know that i have this so the minute I, his look is public. I'm posting it and saying challenge to my friends. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to that. I'm gonna I'm gonna see what they post back. 
Yeah, that's <laughs> that's the kind of thing that makes your your advertising campaign go viral. Yeah, I mean, you know stuff like that. It's just that's stupid stuff. You know. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. Well, the, here's the other make. funny thing. I I was it. I was at Comic Con and uh, a friend of mine, um, Mark Christopher Lawrence, who you might know him. He played Big Mike on the show Chuck, mm-hmm. and um, he and he's just a good buddy of mine. And we've worked together a few times. And uh, when I first moved to LA, a mutual friend introduced me to him, and I was really green. And I said, "Hey, can I can I call you? Can you answer some questions for me?" And he was like, "Sure," and gave me his number and was just gracious. And then fortunately, I've been able to repay it and hire him a bunch of times, and we've really become buddies. Um, he normally every year works with a, a, a local TV station down there and does a bunch of interviews at Comic-Con for them. And he wasn't available to do an interview because he had a gig one afternoon or one mm. evening. So I was in town. He's like, hey, Gerald can do it. Will he, can he fill in? So I was like, sure, I'll fill in. Well, um, I got to interview uh, Dr. Neil uh, deGrasse Tyson. Oh, my God. And which is like, all like, yeah, I'm freaking out going, I'm going to get to talk to him. Number one, that's amazing. I'm talking to one of the smartest people on the planet. And I got to do these, these on camera interviews for him. And it was funny because, um, he has a show that he's the host of that's, they're coming up on their third season. And it was, it was about that. And what was great was their show is based on science and universes mm-hmm. and things. So I, so I was able to ask him a question about, uh, if on his show, could one of the potential outputs of the world be like a fracture in time and space? And he's like, oh, funny you ask that. We have an episode about that this season. So I got to actually <laughs> ask him about the title of our show. So wow, hopefully awesome. we'll be able to use a piece of that at some point <laughs> to go viral. <laughs> so well, we'll we'll join in. We'll, we'll post it to our friends. <laughs> oh, I appreciate it. But that, just, you know, that's the executive producer of me thinking on the spot, like, hey, I can uh, talk to him about this title. And mm-hmm. Maybe we can license him talking about, you know, the title of our show. <laughs> that's one of the things about your career. Uh, you've you've got over act, 80 acting credits. But before that, you were a DJ and a rapper. He can tell talk. Us, tell us about Jam Master J. <laughs> oh, man. You did. Um, you did to not be honest, homework. No, that's I did my ama- homework. That's an amazing question. And and the reason um, it's amazing is because um, I met, met Jay. I was like a young DJ just trying to figure out my way. And I, you know how DJs scratch on records. I created a way to do that with a CD player and an effects processor back in like 1997. And it, now they make CD players that will simulate the sound of a scratch and react almost like a vinyl record. But then they didn't. And um, I ended up working with with uh, Pioneer Electronics, um, you know, as their national DJ and consulting on how to design their gear when they saw what I was doing. So I met Jay. I was at a at a DJ show and Jay came walking through and saw what I was doing. And he first off, he was he was in any room he was in. He was probably the humblest guy in the room. So it was a great example for me to learn from. And he saw what I was doing. And and literally, I got to teach him about the new DJ technology and he loved it. And he said to me, he said, because at the time, a lot of DJs were all about records and they were they would they would almost like like clown me or diss me because I was trying to push this technological CD based, you know, edge, especially as a hip hop DJ. And they, uh, Jay's like, listen, when I first went to Europe with run DMC, we were going to, we had, we had hit records and we were going to do these concerts and we would go to do the sound check and the venues would go, where's your band? And, and then 
the guys would go, Jay is our band. And he was like, they would, they laughed at us. They were like, you can't do a concert without a band. And they were like, watch us. And Jay, so Jay had experienced the same thing on a much bigger scale. Mm -hmm. So Jay kind of took me under his wing. And the next thing you know, I mean, I was working for, I was doing a bunch of stuff for Pioneer at the time. But the next thing you know, I'm getting calls from Jam Master Jay going, hey, can you come open up for me at this club in New York? Hey, can you come open up for me at this gig at the Super Bowl? <laughs> hey, can you come open up for me at this gig at All Star Weekend? And all of a sudden, he's taking me around. And it was funny because I do, I, I, he ended up, and he put his money where his mouth was. Like, he hired me to, to DJ his 10th anniversary. They rented a, a yacht out in New York City and went out in the harbor. And Russell Simmons was there, Funkmaster Flex, all these big time celebrities and DJs were there. And he had a CD DJ. Well, all of them were walking up, looking at my gear, like laughing at it, like really, and like talking to Jay, like Jay, Jay, really, you got like this CD DJ, and I'm playing like cocktail and dinner music at the time. Mm -hmm. So dinner, <laughs> dinner's over, and Jay's like, Jay comes over, he's lean, he's literally leaning on the side of the boat, right by my DJ system, and he says, "Yo, light it up," and I went, "All right," and I start <laughs> DJing and scratching and doing all the stuff I do, and in about three, within a minute, every one of those DJs came storming over to my dj table and was like <laughs> because they had to see how the, the hell going. you were doing yeah. what you were doing and they couldn't believe it yeah and jay and jay was sitting there with the biggest <laughs> smile on his face going yo check out my dj and they were all blown away but that's the guy he was like he wanted to help lift me up so th that relationship starts and then jay gets involved in this pilot for a tv show and it was called Espia, and we it shot in new york and they had a lead role that they wanted a real DJ to play one of the lead roles. So Jay's like, yo, I want you to come to New York and audition for the lead in the show. And I, I had never been on an audition ever. I didn't have a headshot, like an actor headshot. So I, so, but I went and I auditioned. And I ended up not getting the part. But they liked me and were like, hey, we want to put them in the show. And they put me in another role on the show. So literally my first like real TV booking for a TV pilot was as a direct result of a relationship with Jam Master Jay. And, you know, rest, may he rest in peace. I learned so much from that guy. He taught me a lot about being humble and, and humility because he was the biggest star in the world and the most humble, approachable, down-to-earth guy on the planet. And I, I feel like he's with me every day, and I will forever be grateful to Jam Master Jay uh, for what he did for me in my career. Well, you're just paying it forward is all it is. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. it's awesome that you get to do what you're doing. I mean, it's it, not it it doesn't not take many, away anything from Jay yeah, to, to no. raise, raise up this kid. You know? Yeah, it's awesome. It, it's it's awesome that you get to do what you're doing, and that you that you had somebody like that uh, giving you a hand up. And you obviously yeah, weren't looking you, for a hand out. You know, you just wanted a hand yeah. up, and that's what you yep. needed. And that's, and that's the thing. You, you, you bump into a lot of people who, you know, we live in a doggy dog world in a lot of ways, but it doesn't mean that that's how you have to be. And you have to find the balance of saying, hey, sometimes I have to fight and sometimes I just have to help and I want to help as much as I can. And uh, Jay was a great example of that. Like he I, I, I can't name one time that he ever had an attitude or acted like he was better than anybody. And and that was a great example for me and something sometimes I got to sit down on and reflect and go, hey, when I'm pressured and I got a lot of things going on, not to maybe brush somebody off because I'm too busy or not to like look at somebody who's not who's just starting their journey and go, oh, they're no good. 
at acting or whatever. I have to go, you know what? They're just not ready yet. Maybe I can find a way to try and help them at least take one step, if not more. Yeah, that's that's great. I really I really admire that. We have oh, been speaking. Don't, don't thank don't thank me, man. <laughs> I, I got to get that all up to Jay, and I have a bunch of people around me that are are like that. So, uh, you know, the the best part to be or something that I've collected from a bunch of other people who graciously uh, shared some something with me. Well, and you're you're working with young people now and setting them free to elevate their next generation. <laughs> yeah, and that is just funny because. That's a perfect example where I have to check myself because sometimes it's easy to fall into the these millennials are so terrible. And I have to be like, no, they're just young and they're trying to figure it out. And I have to kind of try to be as great as I can and, and, and help them as best I can. So it's it's a, that's where those moments where I got to reflect back on Jay and be like, all right, Jay, let me let me be more like you in this moment. Ladies and gentlemen, we have been talking to Gerald Webb the executive producer of the new upcoming series, Fracture, science fiction post-apocalypse story. Thank you so much for spending this time with us. It has been a real pleasure. Oh, the pleasure's mine, man. I, I never thought we would talk about some of the stuff that we talked about. And <laughs> anytime I get to talk about my, my old buddy, Jam Master J, man, I'm really grateful. So thank you for the time. I really enjoyed it. You have been listening to the 203rd episode of Krypton Radio's weekly production of The Event Horizon for September 1st, 2018. Our guest today has been Gerald Webb, producer of the upcoming dystopian science fiction dramatic series, Fraxture. That's F-R-A-X-T-U-R, in case you want to Google it. Your hosts were Gene Turnbow and Susan Fox. This episode will air again on September 2nd at 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern, tomorrow afternoon. That's a Sunday. And two more times on the following Thursday and Saturday mornings at 4 a.m. Pacific, 7 a.m. Eastern. Once all of the airtimes have passed, you will find this episode and others on iTunes, Stitcher, and on our own website at kryptonradio.com as podcasts. Krypton Radio is listener-supported sci-fi geek culture radio. We are the only radio station in the world that does this. The vast majority of our funding comes from listeners just like you. We are asking you to please, please visit patreon.com slash kryptonradio and donate a dollar or two a month to help keep this unique radio station on the air. If everybody thinks to themselves, that's somebody else's job or somebody else will take care of it for me, then there will be no sci-fi geek culture radio stations on the air anywhere in the world. Be a hero for everyone else and go pledge. That's patreon.com slash krypton radio. The Event Horizon title sequence was written and produced by Gene Turnbow. The science officer was played by science fiction illustrator Mark Schurmeister. The engineer was Christian B. McGuire. The navigator was Christine Cherry. And the captain was voiced by science fiction grandmaster Larry Niven. This program is copyright 2018 by Krypton Media Group Incorporated. The Event Horizon on Krypton Radio. It's sci-fi for your Wi-Fi.